Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Happy New Year, Mark. Happy New Year. Man, I'm really proud of what we accomplished with uh, Reef Therapy in the last year, putting out a bunch of episodes and really, um, I don't know, connecting with a lot of reefers. Um, more than all the content I've ever produced, people come up to me or message us about uh, reef therapy more than anything. So it's been really rewarding to talk about various aquarium topics. And I think today's topic is going to be a really fun one because it's like firmly inside my wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I, uh, I look forward to hearing your viewpoints on it, for one, because I think you have probably the most hands-on with every reef product that I know of anybody. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Well, let's maybe check in on our tanks because it's been a while. Yeah. Well, sounds like you want to talk about it. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, not much. Uh, I, I'm starting to, well, like I was joking about a new year's resolution about not buying any coral for the year. Uh, mm -hmm. but knowing that there's going to be a conference in my town, you know, that I'll actually be able to attend. It might be kind of hard not to go to like a reef show and not pick up something. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of fixated on, you know, gear that worked and gear that didn't. And I'm starting to just accept that I may make some changes on stuff that I spent a lot of money on, but I'm not too happy with. So, you know, I'm probably going to pull that Deltek skimmer and go back to uh, the bubble MAGA skimmer. <laughs> really? I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, you know, um, the wiper thing, it's it's good except for the fact that it doesn't clean the lid. And I've noticed, um, it, in theory, it's great. But in practice, I noticed that the skimmer performance drastically drops. If you, unless you take it apart and clean the cup and the lid frequently, mm -hmm. um, I've always been of the camp, um, and this comes back to like the Euro Reef skimmer days um, of a clean lid, clean skimmer cup, one that you clean frequently. Like every time you empty it, clean it is going to perform the best. Mm -hmm. And a smaller skimmer where the cup is easy to take off and clean every other day, I think skims better. And that's what my experience was. Whereas with the Dell Tech, it's not, I mean, honestly, it adds like 10 seconds of your life to take it off and clean it. But it's still just that extra 10 seconds of annoyance of having to twist it off and deal with the hose and everything. But um, I just noticed that... Uh, it just, it skims it's for good for a while, but eventually you don't get away with just, you know, turning the wiper every couple of days. Like the, the skimming performance drops off drastically. And then if I take the cup off and clean it like I would an old school skimmer, then I'm back in business. But that got me thinking like, well, why don't I just go back to the other skimmer? Because I like those skimmers because if you just uh, take a bubble magus and you take the O-ring off the cup... Um, it just sits in there and the gravity, the weight of the cup itself is enough to create a decent seal for an in-tank skimmer. But it's just easy like to remove it, clean it, put it back, back in business. It's smaller, you know. So I just, it's funny, like I feel like a smaller skimmer that you clean more frequently is better than an over, a larger skimmer that doesn't get as much attention. 
Um, I, I, one of the things that I like about what you're saying is um, not so much a direct observation uh, of that protein skimmer, but how if you have a great aquarium product and there's just one little thing that just keeps you from having an awesome experience, that is your experience with the, the device, you know, whether it's a pump, a light or a protein skimmer or a tank or a sump or what have you, just these small little uh, you know, holdups will just keep you from just enjoying the uh, device or the piece of equipment as much as you could. And just like you said with the Dell Tech. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably an extra 10 seconds to remove it and put it back on, but if I'm going back to the route of I'm going to take this thing off every other day and just empty and clean it, then I'd rather go with the smaller, more easier to manage and easier to remove um, situation, right? Like I just like you're going to make it as efficient as possible. And as from a lazy perspective, as like excuseless as possible of not, you know, like you're going to do it. So and the other part is like, I mean, that skimmer cost me like 600 something bucks, right? And I don't think I'm getting the value out of it. I'd rather just sell it and go back to just an easy old skimmer with a CJ pump inside of it. Ooh, I might I might have a skimmer for you to try out. I might have to test it, do a video real quick, but then uh, send it your way. Um, but yeah, actually, I kind of feel what you're you're saying because I remember having uh, like a Vertex skimmer, a Roll exclusive skimmer, and they were threaded. They were threaded on and you know how much work and craftsmanship it took to lay that protein skimmer neck to have a, a screw joint. And what's funny is the, I think when the vertex had like a female screw and then the Royal exclusive had a male screw thread, it was so bizarre, but it's just like, I don't want to sit here and twist the cup like 10 times just to get it off. Just let it pop off. And there's been some other skimmers in the past where it's not a really um, good fit on the cup and just like you said, it's an extra 10 seconds, but just that it's not an awesome, like lift and remove experience. Um, just, it will just slow you down from doing it. If you know, you can just take that cup off like one handed and with a tray in the other hand. Um, it's one of those things that just helps you to streamline your aquarium workflow. Um, I think on the flip side, the, uh, the Ultra Reef protein skimmers, they have a special kind of gasket that fits nice and snug, but it doesn't, um, I'm talking about gaskets, not the not the lid, um, but it, that really, you know, when you put it on, you just feel a certain sense of security. And there's definitely been some skimmers in the past who were a little bit mm, lazy about their design for the cup, and they just threw a giant O-ring on there. And yeah, sure, it's sealed, but who cares if your protein skimmer leaks a little bit for an internal protein skimmer well, exactly. right back into the sump? I, that's my take is if it's an external skimmer, um, yeah, make that union where the cup connects, um, leak proof. Right. But if it's sitting in my sump, I just want to be able to lift the cup up out, mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. you know, you're, you got to carry it across, you know, a rug and all this other crap. You're trying not to get skimmed on the floor and piss off your wife and you just want to clean it quickly and get it back in business. So, um, so yeah, I think I might just go back to that. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm kind of annoyed with that cup, I'll be honest. And it's a personal thing. I, I, I think most people would probably think this is a first world problem, but. Oh, absolutely. You know. First world, like high-end reefer problem. Uh, but I'm not sure who else could talk about the nuances of protein skimmer necks and cups for five minutes and still have more to talk about. But Well, the other thing is I bought a, uh, what's that Tunzi, um, the tall Tunzi pump, um, 
Uh, string three? Yeah. And the way I wanted to use it was like in a tower with the little uh, curved top on it. The um, deflector, yeah. Yeah, so I could hide it in a corner. And it's just not getting me in that arrangement. It doesn't get me the flow I want. And I, what I punch. really wanted was a 6105. I think that's the model number, just the old ball stream. Mm-hmm. But I think because of supply chain, I don't know. It's just they've been out of stock everywhere. So I said, okay, I'll try this new pump. Um, and I'm not happy with it. I, I mean, I could arrange it horizontally and put the the other attachment on it. And I'll probably have to do that. But I may... I may swap that out for like as soon as the 6105 is available, I might swap back to that. So, so it's just one of those, like I, when I think about spending $600 on a skimmer for something on that pump, that's a thousand bucks where I haven't felt total satisfaction with those two products. And that's a lot of money, right? So yeah. I'm like, well, I might just, you know, throw those on the for sale forms and go swap that out for stuff that will make me happy. Cause I don't, I just don't want to live with stuff that annoys me on a day to day basis. Absolutely. So. I know. I think this is an awesome segue or at least a warm up into our discussion of the top 10 new products of 2021 because there's just so many factors involved in what, in what makes a great aquarium product. There's a lot of subjectivity, but if you look at it from a lot of different perspectives as far as like the user experience, the value, the durability, um, the general operation. Um, you can kind of get a feel for what kind of aquarist or users are going to get the most out of that product. And so that's what I really try to channel um, when it comes to uh, different products that I've selected for top 10 of the year. Um, for those of you that are maybe a little more new to the hobby, uh, the Reef Builders has been doing a just, just picking out you know top 10 new uh, product releases for every given year. And we've had some off the wall devices, like some of the first ever LEDs. Um, sometimes it was captive bred fish. Um, I think one year it was actually uh, eco gorgs, the small gorgonians that oh, yeah. were being made available um, throughout the aquarium hobby. So it's not like a giant three foot, you know, whip <laughs> that doesn't fit in anybody's tank. So eco gorgs was a really cool one. And um, just uh, selfishly this year, not even selfishly, but self-congratulatory just a little bit. I selected uh, Reef Therapy and it was not an easy decision, but I was like, man, I think this is one of those things that's free. <laughs> so therefore, there's a lot of value and a lot of knowledge and information. And um, hopefully, you know, another 10 years down the road, you and I are still around <laughs> and we're still doing Reef Therapy in some shape or form. Um, so that was one that I really thought kind of deserved that recognition. Um, I know that might come across weird to onlookers as far as like being biased, but yeah, of course I am biased because this is uh, just something that's really filling a niche in the reef aquarium world and community. And I know a lot of people are getting uh, a lot from it. And um, since 2009, we have awarded roughly, I don't know, 130 different products with the prize. And man, I went back to look at like 2009, 2010, 2011. And man, some things really stood out like the Vortec MP10 virtually unchanged except for the uh, controller and the wireless control uh, you know everybody's still using that or the ch voyager hp10 that's been around for 10 years that is just like a small little outboard motor for very large and almost commercial style tanks um so there's you know there's definitely some lasting some staying power with some of the devices that we select and um one thing that so 
if if you yeah really keep up with reef builders, I've already this morning I put out the article and the video talking about the ten top ten new products. So you might have already gotten your fill. But one thing that I want to bring to this episode to really supplement it is the other devices, the other products that were considered the runners up for yeah. It's not it's not like there's not a, a not a, a competition. It's really, not a border. It's not a yeah. hierarchy or something. But discussing why some of these products didn't rise up to that top ten rank. I think that's fair because I bet <clears throat> I bet a lot of people watch that video and probably question why some stuff wasn't on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because exactly. I think there was definitely product announcements that were more. I don't want to use hype in a bad way. Like we always talk about Instagram hype and stuff. I don't mean it like that, but I mean they they had garnered a lot of attention when mm-hmm. they were announced, right? Yep. So. They were probably some of the more newsworthy products, but yeah. maybe um, so. So I, I, it'd be good to hear like why certain things were chosen. It's, why. it's kind of the backstory, right? Yeah. So, like for, for example, definitely there was some uh, Neptune fanboys uh, who gave me a little bit of uh, shade for not selecting the Trident, and I'm like, all right, that's an awesome product. But that is not going to have the wide-reaching, impactful, you know. But was mean- that a 2021 product? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm oh, we're talking back. about last year. Yeah, um, I think last year or the year before. Yeah, and it's like, it's an awesome product. It's got a lot of merit. It was considered, you know, if it ran standalone, that it would have been way up there. It probably would have made it if it ran standalone because it's just as we've seen in the Neptune Sky. It's easy to throw a radio in there and get it to to communicate without requiring this external device. It's just really easy to create your own walled-in garden and be like, oh, you want our very shiny new toy? Well, you have to buy into the ecosystem. Um, But I don't want to talk about that. It's just some some of the backstory. But um, uh, is there a product you want to kick off with? Um, Let's talk about the top 10, and then let's talk about the runners-up. Okay. Um, Well, I think you had two dosing pumps on there and what i liked about that is um i think i'm biased but i think in my opinion unless you're you know just hardcore sps i think dosing now has taken front front stage in terms of calcium and alkalinity management Mm -hmm. right now that we have reliable dosing pumps that are easily programmed from a phone um and we have a uh, a plethora <laughs> of of AB solutions and even a single solution, right? Like uh, the calcium formate that... Um, uh, yes, thank you. Um, I just feel like dosing is really coming into its prime right now. And it's like part of that is just that we have such a killer um, selection of dosing pumps, but also you may think we may think dosing is not that innovative, but I feel like the two dosing pumps you mentioned definitely increase the usability and mm-hmm. the, um, I guess, the adaptability in terms of the One mo- thing, like, yeah. you know, it, people who've been using dosing pumps for the last 10 years, there's a huge assortment available, right? I think it yeah. was last year or the year before that the Versas were um, part of that that mix. And, um, you know, there's a lot of Comware dosing pumps that are really specialized and bubble maguses have been around forever and they kind of do the job, but they're not super reliable and you can't right. wirelessly program them. And, you know, to be honest, you know, for the price, the, the Senshi and the Reef dose, they're all right. They're not like, they're not breaking any 
killer new ground when it comes to like innovation and value, but I will put money on it right now that 10 years from now, we'll still be talking about reef doses and sentias. Mm-hmm. You know, sentias are going to be huge. It's the the aqua, the Seachem Aquavitro Sentia. So we're just going to talk about the two dosing pumps first. <laughs> I guess that's what we're going to do. Um, the Seachem Aquavitro Sentia, it's only sold in retail stores. So it's supporting your brick and mortar stores. And Seachem um, is a, one of the biggest uh, out of all the additive manufacturers that go fresh and salt. They have the biggest footprint in the freshwater planted aquarium world right? Uh, every other high-end uh, plant additive, they don't make saltwater stuff, right? Right. So when it comes to Sentia dose, that is going to be the first dosing pump for literally tens of thousands of aquascapers. Like with, I mean, by the end of the year, by the end of this year, freshwater and intermediate hobbyists will be introduced to the magic of automatic dosing, wireless programming, you know, smartphone controlled dosing through that particular pump. And it's really cool. You know, uh, it's 150 bucks for one pump and then you add uh, secondary units. Um, I think they're $99. Um, however much you want, they just slap right on and you don't need further radios. You don't have to program them. I mean, you, you have to program in the app, but you don't have to program them to your network. You know, so everyone you add on, it's already part of the part of your system. And um, I kind of, man, I, I'm trying to think like how many different types of dosing pumps I have here. And I only use the, the very dumbest and the very smartest. None of this in between stuff. The really dumbest are really fun because you want to program it, just press a button right now. You don't, no, there's not even a menu. Just press a button up, down, up, down. And they're really practical. So, yeah, I use both of these dosing pumps. And, um, yeah, the Red CD Reef Dose is a super cool uh, value proposition. Uh, God, I want to say it was like $239, $249 for the two-channel and then $349 for the four-channel. And uh, both of these companies have removable and replaceable dosing pump heads. Yeah, that's uh, what I wanted to add. because Us old-timers will be very familiar with taking a pump apart and threading the the neoprene silicone stuff out and putting in your new one but you know if you want to just do some quick maintenance and pop in on and off a, a replacement dosing pump head yeah that's that's going to be the most convenient and goes back to the user experience yeah that's for me i mean i've um i've had a ghl doser which was technically usable as a standalone unit without having a GHL controller. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really hard time with it um, in terms of just using it as a standalone. And I, you could blame the user, but I feel, I'm, you know, given my occupation, I'm pretty tech savvy and I had a lot of problems with it. Um, not to disparage, you know, GHL. I just um, wasn't very happy with that experience. Then I've, I've had the bubble magus dosers they were not very I, I had reliability issues with those. I've had the now I use the Neptune dose, but you have to be part of that ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so really, the only one that was really existing in that space of I feel like usability and affordability was Kamur. And I do have a Kamur doser on uh, my basement little setup, and it's been great. Um, but just seeing what Red Sea has done, as well as like the Aqua Vitro, it's the fact that the heads are easily replaceable. So you can just have a seasonal thing of just, you know, swapping those out and it's easy, it's modular. Um, and then the price point, I just feel like it's made it 
beginner friendly. Like mm-hmm. I look at like the Reef Dose, for example, from Red Sea. It's very user friendly. The interface. Someone that's just getting started in the hobby can make easy sense of it. Um, I haven't used the app, but I've seen a lot of demos of the app. And unless the app is buggy, which I I don't know, um, it seems like it's it not. was. It seems really well designed, right? Because you have a large company that probably has a good software development team, an app development team behind it. Um, so you have, I, I don't know, I, I think you have a really good package. And like I said, I think dosing is going to be, I, I, I mean. I would like to point out before I forget that on any calcium reactor powered aquarium that I have, I also use dosing. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't want to sit there and adjust my calcium reactor up and down on a weekly or monthly basis. Just yeah. let it run and provide like the the bulk meat and potatoes of the mineral the demands that your tank needs, like 80, 90, 95%. And then for the small adjustments, I mean, again, this is a technical hobby. Just get one little dosing pump for buffer. And then you can turn that up and down. And then once you get to a point where, all right, now I'm dosing 100 mLs on top of my calcium reactor. Now's the time to turn up my calcium reactor, turn on my dosing, and use the doser for those fine adjustments. Yeah, and I love the fact that um, it's, you know, well, you have one that's modular and you have one that is multiple heads. So, Assuming you already lock away two dosing heads for your A and B, it's very easy for you to get into dosing trace elements, right? If mm-hmm. you want to start experimenting with that, carbon dosing, because um, I keep talking about calcium and alkalinity, but I mean, it, 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 there's just so many opportunities that you can use it to tinker and get a consistent result, right? If you want to look at, I wonder if using this trace element additive benefits my tank, if you're doing it based on manual dosing, I feel like you're going to get, you know, you're going to forget, you're going to have your ups and downs with it. But if you just program a doser and say, well, I'm going to add two mLs a day and see what happens. Okay, it may increase it by one mL. Like you have, it's, it's a really handy tool to see, does this trace element additive help me, right? And at what is the magic dose? Because it, it's so consistent for you. It's not yeah, a I'm sure Seachem and, and Red Sea aren't thrilled about both of their dosers being talked in, in the same sentence. Yeah. But they're, but they're both additive manufacturers. And, um, you know, like when you fire up the ReefBeat app, it asks you what you're dosing. And it will has some clue of the concentration of the product you're dosing. I use primarily like self-mixed Brightwell power. Powders, you know, so that I can't really enter that. But for example, on the video I did about the Aquavitro Sentia, not only does the app scan the UPC and know what you're using, it knows the size of the bottle. I don't know why that little extra detail blew my freaking mind <laughs> because I did it on camera and I was like, oh my God, it knows that this is a four liter bottle of Flourish XL and then I'm going to be dosing it to a plant tank. So then I don't even have to tell it how much volume is left. You know How do I mean? they know that? Oh, you just scan the, the barcode. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Seachem barcode, Seachem app, Seachem product is just like, it knows that that's the synergy. And that's, that's, I'm mean, just kind of surprising, right? That this is the, are these the first dosing pumps by additive companies? I think they are, right? So, you know, big ups to come where, you know, they are a dosing pump company. So they have a dosing pump for like every application. Um, one fun fact about the Sentia, it's built by Siche. When you open it up, it's got a Camor motor up in there. Interesting. And um, another uh, interesting point is when I first started using the Sentia at the, the medium and high speed, it has a tone. It has like a B, like a B. 
tone. And I was just like, how is this even possible? And I was just like, I was really floored by it. And then I'm, I just thought, I was, there's no way I'm going to keep using this. But somehow it just went away. And even the, 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 the chugga, chugga, chugga action got really quiet to the point where I'm like, I go over there once in a while and I have one of the pumps uh, feeding a aqua vitro element calcium reactor. That's the, 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 the raw water feed. And uh, I used to hear it when it would go off, you know, chugga, 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 chugga. And then now it's gotten so quiet, I have to go over there and touch it and to see that it's on. It's kind of kind of cool. But yeah, those are two dosing pumps. We have a lot more stuff to get through. So off to the next one. All right, I'll let you suggest the next one. All right, so we're just going to get these out of the way um, because you haven't seen them and they're both really new and still really scarce. They just kind of hit my inbox towards the end of the year, but they're not the kind of thing that you need to test, right? And I'm talking about Cornerstone Branch Rock and Tropic Eden Pukani Rock. This stuff is freaking amazing. This stuff is going to change people's minds about what uh, man-made rock should look like. I almost think this stuff will single-handedly um, send a few of the other manufacturers back to the drawing board, especially the Pukani, because you, you look at it, you're like, what the heck? <laughs> How is this even possible? It looks just so if you, you know, obviously you're listening to this podcast, so they're both surprisingly lightweight. When you look at them, you'd think they would be super heavy. They're both branch rock, but where Cornerstone is like really thick branch rock, uh, very similar to like the Tonga branch back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, the Pukani rock is made up of smaller branches. So like thinner branches kind of glued together. That doesn't sound great, but I'm telling you, if you see this stuff in a tank, you will just assume that that is some crazy rare uh, holdover live rock from the ocean. And they both have incredible coloration. Yeah, I mean, specific to the Tropic Eden one, you showed me some pictures of that. Um, I, I I didn't want to, you know, talk forever about my tank. But the other thing I'm not happy about is sort of how the aquascape turned out, right? And when I saw that stuff, it just reinforced this idea that I I feel like I want to re-aquascape. I miss being excited about the rock. Yeah. And I didn't realize that was even a thing. Until I saw, like, branch rock is branch rock, you know, it's cool and it creates some dramatic shape and it, it helps you, like, kind of lift stuff up. But the Pukani rock, it's named after um, old school Fiji Pukani live rock. Man, it looks so much like it, too. There was something about it that just got me excited about, like, I remember working at stores and picking out one rock from every third live rock shipments and setting it aside and setting it aside for my own tank, for a display tank at the store or something. And then just looking out for those like really treasured, magical looking pieces. And um, the Pukani stuff from Tropic Eden, I think it's only available from Premium Aquatics uh, right now. They I think they work like together on it. They have like nice shelf pieces too. And, mm -hmm. um, but the shelves are made of small branches. Right. They are not flat slabs. You hold them up and it's like someone took a semi-consolidated uh, tabling acropora and let stuff grow on it and, and, and fuse it together. It looks incredible. And I think that was really, I don't, I need to find out. I need to find out who came up with the idea to put a little shoulder on each of the slabs uh, of, of shelf rock from Bukani because whoever did that, they really have experience aquascaping. You're never going to use a flat rock by itself, right? You're always going to stack it on top of something else. So why not give 
basically every slab a little bit of a bumper shoulder on one side that's going to allow you to do some really tricky cantilever stuff for dramatic, you know, free floating shelves, um, or even for just general stacking, because if every one of them has a little shoulder, you just, you know, go up, 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 and you don't need so many um, filler rocks. Yeah, I, I really felt like um, what I wanted to do with my tank was originally, I wanted not to have a lot of rock, but I wanted a very flat aquascape, right? Because I wanted a shallow tank. And one, I felt like I deviated from that because I got a little too excited with this super glue sand mixture stuff. But the other <laughs> thing is, I mean, I ordered um, a bunch of carob sea stuff. I went to my local fish store and I bought carob sea stuff. And it's all this kind of chunky stuff that was really hard to work with. So what I ended up doing is breaking it up with a hammer and then using the super glue to glue it back together. I wanted to use flat shelves, but the only option at the time were those Marco rocks that were like cut, like, like look like they're perfect slabs. Yeah, yeah like uh, they're yeah. like you could tile your bathroom floor with them. Yep. And that just looks so artificial to me. Plus, uh, at the time, I only saw them in white, and I like starting off with purple rock. Uh, that's just a, you know, I don't want to start with white rock and then wait for the Coraline to show up. And I do see now you can order those flat tiles in purple, but. Well, that's um, news because I haven't been talking to Joe about making them that way, and I'm sure that's been on their agenda. But I didn't realize that they were doing that. Was it, is that from Marco? Is there someone else? No, it's Carob C doing it. I well, I don't uh, know. Um, but they look like Marco, like they're perfectly flat. Um, I don't know. Quarried, but so quarried rock. Yeah, I, maybe maybe it's not. You know, I I I don't know. I I only saw it online, but. But when you had the article about the Tropic Eden stuff, I was like, man, I wish that stuff was around when I was aquascaping my tank. And then I just, again, just like the pump and the skimmer, like, ah, you know, okay, I wasted some money, but I'm not going to settle on, you know, crap that I'm not happy with. So I'm I'm highly debating buying some of that Tropic Eden stuff and, and just redoing the tank one weekend and just going with a nice flat aquascape. That gives me nice shelves to put some more LPS and stuff off the sand bed. And uh, yeah, that rock. And it looks exactly like you said. It looks like the old stuff that we used to get excited about, you know, not just this. So flat. one one catch 22 about the Bukani rock, the wild and the natural stuff. It's incredibly open and incredibly porous, which is great for allowing flow and letting things grow in there. But it's also great at catching stuff. Yeah. So I remember on the forums um you know people would have their pukani tank set up for um a year using pukani rock it'd be great and then they would have kind of these mystery kind of nutrient buildups because it was so porous that like just if you didn't have incredible flow or i mean crazy mind-blowing flow where your tentacles are only going one direction at a time um or get in there with a power head once in a while and create a storm um it's just gonna it is gonna trap that detritus um unless you know you use just a very small amount or have a lot of flow. So that's, you know, something to keep in mind. It's, it's really cool rock and I'm pretty sure it's going to set the tone. We're going to see, um, a lot of other companies, uh, taking some notes from the Tropic Eden and the cornerstone rock. And once I, the last thing I want to say about him, um, they, uh, they have a premium price on the sticker, you know, but when you see them in real life, they were, they're, they're surprisingly lightweight. I think I had one piece of the cornerstone that broke and I think I saw like little bits of styrofoam in there. Not a oh, problem, really? but it was yeah. just, it was like, you pick it up and you're like, wait, what is, is this actually rock? <laughs> it, it's, it's lighter than like if it was made out of resin. Interesting. Okay. For sure. 
Yeah, maybe I'll order a small box and just get my hands on it before I commit to a large purchase. Okay. Um. All right. What else uh, would you like to talk about? What's next? Uh, let's see. Hmm. Let's talk I about that. About... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about my, the, my flake food crush. Oh, yeah. And just because this one is an easy one to kind of knock out, uh, Cool Mices and Cool Greens. And I think there's a third one that I didn't get. Uh, might have been for cichlids or something. But between the meat uh, of the mysis and the protein of the mysis and the herbivory of the Cool Greens, um, dude, that food is, once again, that's in a league of its own. <clears throat> I think I might have talked about this on a previous session of how I went looking for flake food. And I got this stuff in and I was like, what the heck? Uh, a pound is 10 bucks. A pound is $10 and it's kind of flake food you could show up and share with your friends at the old school, like uh, African cichlid or discus <laughs> or, you know, local, like classic aquarium club. And no one is going to scoff at that food. Big, chunky, crispy flakes. Um, I've put about two pounds through my serving container. There is no dust to speak of. No dust. Yes, they're small crumbles, but it's not like the dominant thing. I have to break up the flakes and break up the flakes. I feel like that might also be a hand-packed food. Um, yeah, really, really cool stuff. So that was not a new food. I think that's been on the market for a really long yeah, time. Yeah, from Brian Shrimp Direct, right? From Brian Shrimp Direct. I'm sure there's some old timers who are like, oh, I've been using that food for forever. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, but I just found it. And it's really good. And I found some three-pound pails on Amazon. So it's from Biden Ship Direct, but just really easy to order on Amazon. The three pound pails were $29. Do you know how much flake, how, do you know how much PE mice you can get for $29? <laughs> you can get like two jars with, you know, for a total of, I don't know, six, seven, eight ounces. It's like, it's literally a tenth the price, even if you buy a, a half pound container. And it, it sounds like a lot when you say half pound, um, but we're really only talking about eight ounces, right? And uh, yeah, if you compare that to just any food at Walmart, at your mom and pop shop, you know, old school Tetramin. How many times can I say old school? <laughs> um, you yeah, got me Tetram picturing some guy breeding a piece of gramas in his basement that's like using this food. Back no, he's not using that food. He's using live black worms <laughs> and shredded beef heart and then some rapashi mix Ugh. that he's making his own uh, by freezing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, cool. My assistant uh, and cool greens, really awesome addition to the studio, incredibly better and cheaper uh, or more cost effective than frozen food. And I just, I don't have to thaw it out and it's there. And you look at the ingredients. It doesn't start off with filler. It starts off with like whole mysis or whole kelp, really impressive stuff. I so think I'm going to be using that for a long time. I, I had some bloat issues with my fish and I think I was overfeeding a bit on the flake. That was, you, wasn't that pellets though? No, it, it was the flake. It was the, um, what's the other flake that you liked? I, I gave that, uh, that the shot. The CS Pro. The came in like a little white jar. Yeah, the yeah. the CS Pro, Super Red Flakes. Yeah, the fish loved it. So I just kept, I think I got a little too, plus I had some new fish that I was trying to fatten up. And mm -hmm. so it's probably my fault, but I noticed that it happened with the flake and not with the pellets. And that got me a little gun shy about flakes again. I went back to pellets, but you're, you're, you haven't had that issue. 
Yeah, so when it comes to the cool mices and cool greens, that's kind of a selfish choice because it really fills in an awesome niche, but it also shows what is possible to provide a very high quality food and a great feeding experience, but also at a cost that makes you scratch your head at why these other brands are so expensive. Yeah, and I imagine a lot of food is also just repackaged. I could be wrong, but, you know, how how many plants are there that are converting, you know, mycid shrimp into a flake compacted format? I don't know. Maybe. I think it's, it's going to be mostly fish meal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like leftover fish meal at that that's been left to sit out in the sun. And they're like, oh, it's fine. We'll just cook it and process it and turn it into a flake for people's guppies and mollies. No, no big deal. Um, so another one to, that would be really cool to get through quickly is the Coral Finder 2021. It's a good coral identification book. There's been literally two books <laughs> released for the aquarium hobby, the reef aquarium hobby in the last two years. So didn't go up against a lot of competition, but we've already talked about Russell Kelly's book. Um, it's a byoguides.com, I think. And um, I think it's like $50, $60 and great new photographs that were not, um, they were not crowdsourced. Right. So the BYO guide started with a lot of Charlie Varen's like old school. There it is again. <laughs> uh, his old timey photographs taken with film, you know, in like the eighties and nineties. And over the last decade, uh, Russell Kelly has worked to make the photographs, like capture the corals in the way that he wants for this guide. And, uh, it just really shows when you see this guide. And if you know a little bit of the backstory, it's no coincidence that it turned out so awesome yeah i like it too because of the the way it's um put together like a spiral notebook yep um i it's one of those few things where if you have a coral that you're trying to figure out what it is i feel like this sort of the way it guides you to try to figure out what it is is so much better in a book format than trying to do something like that online and doing online research to come to a quick answer. Absolutely. And then, um, I mean, I, I haven't done a lot of scuba diving it lately, but uh, it's like a great book to take on a dive trip, you know, in its spiral format. So you could quickly like look something up and be like, oh, yeah, that's what I saw. You know, it, it just has a cool... Um, I don't know, a, a cool interactive format to try to get you to what you're trying to figure out. Um, it's not uh, just a bunch of words and stuff. So, yeah, the only thing that's missing is the first versions. Actually, um, I don't know if this was standard or if it was an option. There was a waterproof version, still spiral bound. You could literally yeah. take it diving, throw it in your dive bag. And yeah. well, throw it in your fish store, throw it in your fish yeah. room, keep it around your tank. Who cares if you get water on it? Use it to like put a coral on to move to the other tank, you know? Um, so I think, I mean, I would pay a, a $20 premium to have an extra copy of it uh, that is waterproof or to take diving and knowing it's just going to be super rugged. And it has the complimentary videos to help you uh, learn how to use the book and also to dig drill a little bit deeper uh, beyond what the book can tell you. So it's it's got that going on. And that's, that's like a must have for any a coral aquarium reference or diving reference. Just there's nothing like it is the best. Yeah. And in the era of hundred dollar frags, I mean, 
this mm-hmm. book is pocket change, you know. It for... won't die. <laughs> yeah. It, it'll burn, but it's not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that kills me. I have talked to a bunch of reefers who will ask me some kind of deeper questions and I'll ask them if they've read the reef aquarium or modern coral reef aquarium or even ops clam book. And those are have just like, those are just still like ultimate textbooks for a lot of coralology um, and aquariology. And they're, you know, I think they're even when you've been in the hobby for a long time, I think in, in any uh, pastime for a long time, there's a tendency to think you remember things. Right. You think you remember things a certain way, but it's been shown by science that, um, you know, memory is kind of fleeting. And so anytime I'm writing about a certain fish or coral and some piece of equipment, I will pull three books down and I'll see what each one of them has to say about the distribution range of a particular dotty back or tile fish or a particular coral. And, you know, most of the times, yeah, I, I, I just verify that I remember things correctly, but there's always some little nuggets of information there that you just never knew. One great case in point is Scott Michael's um, book here, the the one that has the the hamlets. It's got it's the only reference I could find that talked about the golden hamlet um, being somewhat abundant off some mosquito reef in Venezuela. I want to say, and that's like the kind of juicy nuggets of information that are super cool to know when you're very into an oddball fish. Yeah. Uh... A good example this week was um, Mike Paletta posted a picture of Lang Sai's reef tank from mm-hmm. the ecosystem method. And there was a picture of a pygmy angel and they oh, no. were they were commenting on it. And I think it was like, is it a, is it a centropage nahakii? Or, you know, like, I think that's where the com- comments were kind of going. And um I recall that the just the general multicolor angelfish under intense lighting will brown up on you, right? It'll get, it'll get really dark. So I was sitting there like, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to comment that I think it's just a browned out multicolor, but I'm like, you know, I don't know. And so then I got my angelfish books down and I started, you know, digging around to try to see um, what does it look like more. Um, I don't know. It, it does have a, a pretty significant blue crown on it. Mm-hmm. So, which a multicolor wouldn't sh- have? A, yeah, a big male can develop a pretty good blue crown on it. Um, just almost every bit as big as a nahaki. I've never seen a nahaki personally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll darken up like a nahaki. But, you know, just to kind of finish up with the books, you know, everybody's familiar with the rabbit hole of the internet. I want everybody to know, like, that started with books. Mm-hmm. You go down a rabbit hole with books. Alice in Wonderland is a book, you know? And so, if you ever look something up uh, in a book that you want to reference, that also has its own references, so you can go verify those too, I, I challenge you to crack open a book and not find a, a total distraction, a little side distraction, a rabbit hole that just grabs your eye. Like, I'll flip over to one particular coral and a different page will catch my eye and I'll be like, oh, I haven't thought about that coral in a really long time. I wonder where those are at, you know? Uh, so, super fun experience and um, as you can see in the library next to me, I'm a, a big book fan. Yeah, mine's off camera, but it's technically behind me. <laughs> So we've talked about two types of new, two new types of live rock, two new types of dosing pumps. Let's talk about two lights. 
Let's do it. Let me get the maxi jet. I'm oh, sorry, not the maxi jet, the max spec jump out of the way because that one kind of snuck up on me, right? We're going to be waxing poetic about the Kessel A500 for a minute. So the max spec jump is, uh, I want to say 269, like 65 watts, metal construction. It, it harkens back to clusters of lenses instead of really trying to diffuse out the light. And I was, I, you know, I kind of like the light. It's got a brightness to it with um, um, really good assortment of blue and royal blue. It's uh, five, six channels, uh, wirelessly controllable, everything you'd expect, you know, uh, without a hub. Um, but it wasn't until I raised it uh, six inches higher than the arm stand that came with that comes with it that I fell in love with it because with the arm stand, um, the arm mount mounting arm uh it doesn't get high enough and it creates a little bit of a hot spot um and so when i was able to get it a full like 18 inches over a 24 inch cube it just filled that tank just beautifully perfectly it's quiet great color and it's got a certain kind of crispy blue coloration um that really makes all my orange acans true acanthastrias in that tank just pop like nothing else that lighter blue color is way better for bringing out the oranges than some of the deeper purples that I'll, we'll talk about in a, in a bit. That's and it's two sixty five. It's yeah. two hundred sixty five dollars. You know, so many people are going to enjoy that light. But you're like the only person that's talked about that light, and I found that rather odd because um, I don't see it for sale in a lot of places. Um, it is. It is. It is for sale from a lot of vendors. Yeah. Is you, it? You, yeah, because I've looked up the price so many times. I've seen it on Bulk Reef Supply, saltwatercrime.com. I think Premium has it too. Um, are there any other companies? <laughs> Aqua Cave. Um, whoever. Yeah, it is, it's available. But yeah, it doesn't have that hype factor, right? Yeah. Maxpect is a um, Hong Kong, Shenzhen-based Chinese company, and they have a local distributor. So they're not empowered as much to create the same kind of hype. But it's not a hype light. It's not a hype light. It's a great value light that is going to get you a ton of mileage. And the thing is, they have a, like a white version and a blue version, you know, similar to the Radeon. So there's one with a little bit more white spectrum, one with a little bit bluer spectrum. Um, but for 265, it's just like a beefier version of the Prime. I love the Primes, tons of, of applications, you know, wireless control. Um, but having all those LEDs clustered in the middle, it turns it into kind of a almost spotlight. Whereas the Ethereal has, I want to say, six clusters of four LEDs and enough color control that you can really dial in what you want. And for 265 I just don't think, think there's anything else in that price point, and it's metal. It's metal, so it doesn't even have to spin up that hard because the whole body acts as a heatsink. But like, I, I'm not to disagree with you, but I'm on bulk resupply and I don't see it. I mean, they've got well, the razors. Yeah. Well, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe I was wrong. Yeah, I just it seemed when you did the video on it, it seemed like a very appealing light for for like a an LPS tank specifically, right? Or just somebody that's just kind of getting that doesn't need to just crank out, you know. 400 micromoles of par on every quarter of the tank. So I got really curious about it, but uh, I guess I just had a, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, like that there wasn't oh, and it so comes much with the mounting arm. Yeah. So that's, that is the thing that I try to do. I try to cut through the hype. Sometimes mm -hmm. certain products have way too much hype. That's not um, commensurate with what the product actually is. And then other times you have like these kind of hidden gems, like the max spec jump 65 that are awesome lights. 
Um, yeah, 265 with a metal mounting arm, no hub required. It's a, it's a great little piece of kit. And because they haven't made a huge campaign about it, probably because what's the point of investing in a bunch of advertising when there's chip shortages and you can only and and supply, you know, shipping constraints, you know, that's probably part of it. I'm, I'm guessing. Well, and I mean, it wasn't on your, it wasn't, you know, one of the hot new items, but like at current USA, they came out with a, a small pendant light and it just, I, I'm just surprised that on YouTube and all of these reef related YouTube channels where they're always talking about new products, a lot of them don't talk about these lights. And the funny thing to me is like the hottest corals right now are, you know, hammers and torches and goniopras and all these, you know, which you don't need an XR30, you know, like if you're going to set up a nice LPS tank with, um, with your, your true ACANs or Micromuses or Blastos and, and you've got some torch corals and you're going for all these really cool corals, you don't need all of that horsepower, right? Like you, you could get away. I'm glad you brought up the current USA light because I did try it out. It has fantastic, uh, deep blue coloration. Um, it's the counterpoint to the max spec. Max spec has kind of that, that brighter, almost greenish, but not quite, but bright blue coloration that makes oranges pop. The current USA has incredible, uh, deeper blue, like that violet, you know, if, if, if the current USA is VHO and then the max spec is more like the power compacts or T5. So I set it up. I tried it out. It's 250 bucks. It also has a metal enclosure. It's pretty good, but you, I mean, you can kind of tell, you know, they use a gooseneck mount and there's a couple of cost saving things here and there. Bluetooth connection was, was fine. But man, when I turned on the white, ooh, ooh. yeah, <laughs> I was like, what did you do? I think current USA, they have been using an 8K white LEDs, right? So almost like a little bit of a rosy uh, white LED that works really well for displaying fish and freshwater tanks. And it does not pair well with the deep blues. That is inc- entirely subjective. That's entirely my opinion. But, you know, if you fire up a current USA and put it on your tank and you like the blues, if you only use the blues, I think the current USA would be awesome for that deeper light. But I think you're just going to get a lot more mileage out of something like the Max Spect. But you're absolutely going to grow corals and have them looking good. And there's no reason why you couldn't just bring your own whites to that uh, the really deep blue party that the current USA offers as well. Yeah, no, that's one reason I didn't talk about it because I don't want to be like, eh, it's like half good. It's like half great, but that white needs to be warm, not rosy. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think I was just going there in the sense that I was glad that you put it on your list because – I, you know, I, I don't know about other people. I, there's always somebody asking me like, hey, I want to set up something. I like your tank. I want to set up something. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you help me just set up like a small, cool little reef tank or, you know, like a 75? And I'm always mindful of, you know, this is an experiment for them. They may not like it. I'm not going to push them into an $800 light. Never. I'll be like, get a used like five-year-old light that yeah. when you turn it up all the way, there's just no way you're going to bleach or grow in a ton of algae. No, I'm right there with you. If someone wants to set up a basic tank and you want to give them some training wheels, all right, we're going to give you <laughs> a kitty light to start with. 
Yeah, and that's you know we it's good that there's still some innovation in that budget range, right? Of mm-hmm. of you know like look, I I like my LPS or hey, I'm just starting out and I just want something that's affordable that has Bluetooth that I can still do cool fun things with. So and if you spend two hundred ish dollars on your tank and stand, and then you get the max spec jump L one sixty five. And you have a thousand dollar budget that leaves you about five hundred dollars for like just like a power filter and rock and, and corals. So if somebody was doing a thousand dollar full tank setup, um, the max spec jump would be my my new favorite for that kind of application. All right, you, you ready to go to the other end of the spectrum? A light that you and I both loved, and uh, regular listeners will know what we're talking about. Yeah. Dude, that Kessel A500. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be talking. That's going to be like the radium of spotlight form factors for 10 years. Easy. Yeah. I like that light a lot. I um, <laughs> I like turtles. <laughs> I like turtles. There's, you know, I every time you read like the marketing bullet points of any product, I'm always, I always take it with a grain of salt. And so, you know, you read about Kessels and how they are able to add more colors in that, you know, wavelength chart that we all look at, you know, like more dots on that, on that line that we all stare at in, you know, these um, light reviews because they add phosphorescent coatings to LEDs to shift them up and, you know, into different spectrums and, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when I put the light on my tank, I, the first thing I noticed was like the colors that just get, I feel like they get ignored under LEDs. I mean, a pink fish is freaking pink, right? An orange fish is orange. I mean, just like it, you know that it's not fluorescent. Yeah. Like it's not actual fluorescence, but it behaves that way. There's some like resonance between the spectrum of the light and the pigment of the animal that is just so one-to-one that it creates a kind of glow that is akin to fluorescence in white lighting. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I've had LEDs that have, I've, I've had fixtures with red LEDs in them where I've cranked up the reds out of curiosity to see what that looked like. And then I've done it on the Kessel for fun and it, I mean, if you have a flame angel, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous what it does to that fish. And what's weird is it didn't, it didn't blow out the colors of everything else. It's, right. It's, so it's like, like some regular reds yeah. will introduce red coloration to your tank, but deeper red color, it's like UV. It'll bring out the color without affecting the overall spectrum. Yeah, so you can really like punch the red, the things that are red or orange in your tank without necessarily compromising on the overall, spe- you know, look of your tank, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's just, it's, yeah, that. And of course, I'm a sucker for shimmer. And uh, it's just nice to have a fixture that has the wattage uh, almost that, well, I mean, you you used to have halides in 150 range, right? I was always a 250 watt user and it's not quite 250 watts, but it's akin, you know, it doesn't need to be 250 watts to compete with a 250 watt halide, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's a good fixture. And, and just to be clear, you know, the A500, the Kessel A500X is a premium aquarium light. 
it's going to be a workhorse. It is not the light I would recommend for almost anyone unless they've ran a tank before or they have a really deep tank or they know they want to do clams and acros. It's got a small form factor. Um, I want to say it's like what, 850, 870 or something, but you still have to, you know, get some mounting solutions, uh, bring some mounting solutions and maybe the, uh, the angle adapter on the end and then some lenses. Cause I think the a 500 ships with the 55 degree lens, and then you can add the 35 degree lens. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. And that's, you know, that one is separate. But man, just the way it makes a tank look. I'm, I'm looking at my tank right now. That's they're four feet above the bottom of the tank. It's lighting two feet of mangroves on one side of the tank and then two feet deeper. It's like, 30 inches by 25 inches of soft corals that are looking amazing. But I also grew acros and clams on that bottom. And I've been using that as my rotating tank for things I want to see that have been in some of the shallow pools. And now I'll tell you what, like uh, one of my next challenges this year is I got to figure out how to, uh, I'd like to propagate my mangrove through cuttings. And I have the rooting hormone solution and all that stuff. And I, I know the concept. And I don't want to take all these trimmings of these mangroves and just throw them away just to kind of bonsai up my mangroves to buy me some time before they completely grow out of the tank. But man, now when I look at videos of uh, those mangroves just from this summer, from like six months ago, incredible. I got more growth in the last six months, um, not just due to the A500s, but also the misting that I applied to them, the automatic you know, rain effect on them. Um, I got more growth out of them in the last six months than in the last the previous year and a half. They are bushes. They are bushes now. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not a light for bathing every corner of your tank, right? If you want to grow an acro under this an overhang – it's not the right light for you unless you supplement it. Um, but um, if you are just going for an aesthetic, if you're going for, um, if you're looking for, you know, a tank that doesn't bathe the room in light either, I mean, it's crazy. Like you can really get the light really fixated into the tank. There's no glare, you know. Not not just into the tank, but also pointed backwards yeah you and i have been like just cheerleaders for angling your light backwards mount the light a little bit forward angle it backwards and you'll light up more of that front facing side of your tank that you look at all the time you know so both of mine are mounted 40 inches high they're almost like right over the front glass and then pointed backwards about i want to say like five degrees not more than 10 and it's just amazing there's no light coming out of that that hits the floor it all goes straight into the tank yeah, I you know I've I've done other fixtures. Uh, I did T fives, and I always hated, um, especially because when you have small kids looking up at the tank and stuff. I hated lights that were just, you know, yes, the tank's getting a ton of light. Yes, every nook and cranny of the tank's getting light, but you're also just cranking light all over your rug. <laughs> your kids looking up into the, mm-hmm. the UV, and you know, I just never liked. Um, even with halides, like, I, I don't know. I really love the fact that they have those lenses and you can really just um, uh, zero it in. So, Well, you can customize them in, a, in their really versatile. You know, you can adjust the color, adjust the, uh, adjust the intensity. You can adjust the height. You can adjust the beam angle. And then you can adjust the angle to where it's pointing at. So it's like 
It's the opposite of the Neptune sky. Mm -hmm. It's literally diametrically opposite. I want to get to that, but we still have one more um, great new product to write about. But is there anything, anything more you wanted to say about the Kessel A500X? No, I feel, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty clear that I like the lights a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, we've, we've talked about them a lot. If you haven't seen one yet, you might, it might be challenging to grasp why we love this light so much. Um, but yeah, it's in a category on its own. And I think we'll be talking about this light or its, you know, successors 10 years from now easily. So we went from a very sexy product to now where let's talk about something super kind of boring, but incredibly important. Uh, I'm talking about the Hanna okay. nitrate checker. I've got your list here and I'm trying to guess before you say it. That's the last, I think that's the last one on the list. We talked about the two lights, yeah. the two pumps, the two dosers, an assortment of stuff. But yeah, it's a Hanna nitrate checker. There's nothing sexy about testing your water, except when you test it and everything's on point. That's awesome. That's always very fun. But um, it just transformed my under, understanding of how much nitrate was in my tank. I've said it so many times, you know, your colorimetric tests, test kits that you have to use with your eye, they're like clear, like a tiny bit pink, and then fuchsia. <laughs> so you're like, I have zero, I have some, I have too much. That is essentially the range of Elos and Nios and Red Sea test kits. Well, no even the low range nitrate checker that Hannah had, forget that was the not fact. Practical. That was almost research. Yeah. For, I was going to say, forget how many steps it had, but I don't feel like that information, again, this is subjective. Uh, I don't feel like the information you would need to get out of that range is valuable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, anything between zero and five or zero and 10, I'm not too worried about. I, I guess it's that's more, we've talked about this, you know, when you actually have measurable nitrates, your corals enjoy that. I yeah. mean, in my opinion. Now, if you get too high, it's a different story. But um, so I feel like the high range t checker is more in line with what you should actually care about. Plus, it's easier to do. Uh, oh so my you're going to do it more frequently. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And well, okay. So, you know, um, someone who's got their tank dialed in and they have, you know, they feed their tank a certain amount and they have a decent amount of corals and sand and rock. And they know they're keeping some nitrates, but they're not letting them go too high. They don't need this. But uh, my tanks are super clean because I have a ton of flow, no sand, minimal live rock and tons of corals. So left unchecked, my nitrates will go to zero, zero parts per million. And yeah. so because of that, I've I mean, the last year and a half, I've been learning how to mix up potassium nitrate, make my own solutions. What's a good concentration of running at? How much to dose? How quickly the corals suck it up? And because of this, the the resolution of the Hanner nitrate high range, um, I think it goes up to 75, but you know, most of us are going to be dabbling in zero to 30 or something. I could measure how fast it's going down. I can measure uh, and, and characterize the nutrient levels in my tank. And it's just, for me, it's a game changer. If you have um, any tank above 50 gallons or, you know, you're a coral farmer or a commercial facility, like you don't need one of these. You need like five, right? <laughs> you just line them up and test a bunch of water at once. Um, you, yeah, you have to have this right next to your calcium, alkalinity, magnesium test kit. Um, it's that important especially if you really want to push the envelope. You know, you got, I think there's a lot of folks who are chasing that pH range right now, trying to hit 8.3. I mean, I was trying to hit 8.5, humble brag, but um, um, 
I feel like dialing in a good nitrate level, a good level, a steady nitrate concentration is going to be even more beneficial than trying to chase those high pH numbers. Because guess what? If you chase those high pH numbers, we get your pH up to 8.3, 8.4, 8.5. Guess what's going to happen? Your corals are going to grow faster and they're going to suck out that nitrate. And then one day you look in your tank and realize everything is pale as heck. And you're like, oh, what's wrong with my tank? But if you don't have a good understanding for how much your tank is uh, requiring and demanding those nutrients, um, your corals are going to stop growing. So I would say having a uh, nitrate level of 5 to 20 is more important than having your pH at 8.3 to 8.5. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I feel like uh, like the whole pH chasing, I mean, we went for There's decades. There's a lot of dangers there, man. There's yeah. a lot of pitfalls and I think, uh, you know, we'll let the, we'll let the listeners and the viewers tell us if they want us to do a, a whole conversation on pH, but I just feel like there's a lot of traps there and that's beyond the scope of this discussion today. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I wasn't going to go too deep on it, but I, I agree that, um, knowing where your nitrates at, getting it to a level that's, if you're at zero, elevating that level. So it's measurable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, unless you've got, you know, algae problems galore, nutrient problems, like don't dose nitrates. I'm saying your nitrates are zero and you're wondering if your corals are, you know, hungry. It's just a good metric and just a good way, again, to do some interesting experiments and say, okay, what if I dose enough potassium nitrate to get it up to 5 ppm? I mean, I remember calling you when I started dosing nitrates. I think we were, we both started experimenting with it around the same time and- mm -hmm. There was like a reaction in my softies and LPS where they just got swollen. Like they Swole. just, yeah, they yep. just, yep. it's like they, they were like, I'm going to, I'm going to soak up as much water in my tissues. This is, I'm not a coral biologist, so I'm probably getting this wrong, but it almost seemed like, you know, they were trying to get their Gatorade, like they were just drinking, <laughs> <laughs> they were drinking it up, you know, it was, it was fascinating to watch. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a really important nutrient and this is the best tool we've ever had to, um, analyze it at home. Um, all right. So we have kind of like an assortment here that, to talk about. And some of these were close to being um, included in the top 10. And some of them I just thought were really cool, important products that are just good workhorses. I'm going to get two of them out of the way. Silent Giant Air Pump. Um, this has been around. I'm going to just throw it out there one more time for the people who don't like us saying the same words over and over and over. The old school guys using the Silent Giant Air Pumps. This is not the same thing, but I guess the name of the trademark ran out but it definitely um respects the name so the silent giant i think is available from seven ports um if you're a casual hobbyist um you might not appreciate the importance of pressurized air but i use it for uh, my quarantine tanks i use it on some air driven skimmers i use it to degas my calcwasser um, reservoir to get the co2 out of the water before it goes into the calc reactor which will bind up with calcium hydroxide creating calcium carbonate and thereby neutralizing the hydroxide uh, effect of raising ph <laughs> and it's really great for um, having new fish come in, right? Instead of acclimating to the tank, acclimate them to their own water with an air stone and let the air uh, degas the carbon dioxide to bring slowly bring the pH up. But I have one silent giant, 
right? So I have one. Yeah. And I just, I have routed out with semi-rigid tubing to wherever it needs to go. And I got a little station for the, um, the quarantine, the long-term holding and for the receiving. And it's just a great little workhorse. Um, yeah. So if you're looking for something that's not a dinky little, uh, vibrator air pump that you'll get at a local store and not quite a giant commercial unit that's going to be loud as heck in your court, in your house, um, the silent giant is like this perfect, powerful, medium sized pump that is going to drive a solid 10 air stones, um, without, you know, blinking. And it's got, it's got two outlets and a little adjuster on there, a little, little rheostat. Yeah. Yeah, I, not much to add. I use them for <laughs> quarantine because that's, I think, one of the biggest mistakes people make with quarantine is um, oxygenation, especially oh, with Prazi. You've got to um, have it for everything. Yeah. For everything. Dude, I keep airstone in my quarantine tank when I'm not even dosing. There's a fish in there, whatever. You have an airstone. No matter what happens to that tank, you have pressurized air gassing up your water. Yeah. And I just that's 90% of the potential problems gone. Yeah, and I, I have, you know, usually a batch of fresh salt water that mm-hmm. I do, um, you know, automated water exchange with. Um, and, you know, once I got it mixed up with the mixing pump, I turn that off and I just have an air stone keeping it circulating, right? Keeping it moving so it doesn't get all stagnant and gross. So, everybody needs an air pump. Um, so, the other one that didn't really rise up high, but I know was going to be an important product, is the uh, Nuwa Maxi. Right, so we all know the Aquarium Systems Maxi Jet Pump from back in the day. Uh, we all know the Marineland branded one when they bought uh, the Aquarium Systems US brand that's available from a lot of places and is of questionable quality co- regarded close uh, compared to the other one. And then less of us will be familiar with the Cobalt Aquatics MJ Pump which has not really been available. And my understanding is that that factory that original factory that was making the European version uh, changed hands. So now that is being made under the Niwa Maxi pump, right? So MaxiJet, then MJ, then Maxi. It is the same pump in a different box, but it, it when you need a small little water mover, a little power head, I mean, I just loved Maxi Jets. As I'm talking about it right now, I was like, man, I need to, I need to make a little Maxi Jet powered pump, uh, powered reef tank, just because that was just such a perfect little power head with a nice small nozzle that would create a nice jet of water for 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 actual water flow in the tank because that's what we used to use um or powering um little media reactors or just getting some water moving you know the new maxi it, it's great but it's the italian version and uh no no one is going to be showing off this device but if you have it in your toolbox you'll be glad that you have it when you need it you know what cobalt needs to um bring back I, maybe they still make it but i have a hard time finding them the duetto internal filters oh um um are those still made oh uh, give me one second talk about something i think i have one under the new brand oh um so what i i mean obviously they're great for popping into a small quarantine tank but i always like to use those in my sump um when i just wanted to run a little bit of carbon every once in a while. So it's just an internal power filter, but it's just bomb proof and you can load it up with carbon, stick it in your sump. You know, the flow helps, you know, get detritus out of your sump, right? Kick that up. 
Um, I just, I kind of use them as like a media reactor in a way. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, carbon, GFO, aluminum oxide, mm-hmm. a little bit goes a long way. And people yeah. have been saying forever, like, don't put like a pound of anything in your tank. Yeah. People put in, install like media reactors that hold a gallon of media. Well, like the um, ones that look like um, the carbon block RO cartridges, you know, it's, yep. that's a lot of carbon, man. And that's a lot of media, bro. <laughs> but a little duetto, you just pack it with some carbon and run it for a night. It's just, I, I loved those filters. I still have one that works. I have one that has a um, non-adjustable heater glued to it. I literally super glued it to oh, it. Oh, I thought it was packaged that way. I was like, no, no, no. I glued it to it because I, I got tired of the suction cups. And this is before we had a ton of different magnets yeah. to use. And uh, yeah, so the Duetto is awesome. I know it's available under a different brand, under a different name. But if you see it, I want to say it's Hagen. I, I okay. look at a couple CJ things that I have in my little nano um, aquarium products dash. It's not in there, but I know it's out there. Those molds are still being used. That's I just, good. I don't, I want to say it's Hagen that's making it in a few different sizes. Yeah. Those things were great. Um, anyway, I, I had nothing to do with the, uh, the, the rebranded MaxiJet, which I think we've all used in the past. Right. And it's, a, it's a good dependable power head. It's good for, I, I liked using them to feed meteor reactors or, you know, stick one in your sump again to keep mm-hmm. your sump kind of stirred up, um, stuff like that. They're, yeah. You know, they're handy. Absolutely. Um, all right. So here's an oddball one, the Maxpect anaerobic block. So they came out with uh, like this biomedia block. And I want to say it's resin that holds these beads together. So it's high surface area, water flows through it really well. Um, but inside it, you, you get it as two blocks and inside there's a very small square cutout and you get a, um, a small piece of, uh, what's that material that bio pellets is made out of the corn based carbon yeah. stuff. You know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but it's it's a carbon source that you put inside in between the two blocks, and it's supposed to get anaerobic in it. And the reason it didn't uh, make the cut is because I have I've had one in my fish uh, display tank for a while, but I haven't been diligent enough one to really see if it's um, doing what it's supposed to. And I might need two for that tank to really keep the nitrates down. It kind of reminds me of the old nitrate nitrex box where you have this plastic box and you put this weird, like cut up rubber media inside of it. And it's supposed to just bottle bubble out nitrogen in your freshwater aquarium. If any listener is out there knows where I can find a nitrex box new in the box, I am dying to add that to my little, uh, aquarium product museum. I'm dying, but yeah, that's that was a, just a fascinating product, and so I just feel like the Maxpect anaerobic um, nitrate reducing block um, needs to be put through some more paces before I can really give it the seal of approval and be like, oh yes, this will work in, re- in the real world. Yeah, I'm I'm not big on biomedia blocks, <laughs> so it, it sounds legit, right? Though, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think not, not not so much the biomedia block, but if you have a fish tank or yeah. you have the kind of tank that creates a lot of nitrogen, or a lot of waste, a lot of nitrates, and that's a problem, um, this could be one of the tools that you use to help tamp those nitrates down. 
it's so funny in the same in the same session of brief therapy we're like ooh we're adding nitrates ooh we're trying to get rid of nitrates oh here we're measuring nitrates <laughs> yeah but it makes sense in a fish only system i guess yeah. um where you're not really using the coral biomass um maybe not even a refugium you know like if it's like a true fish only system that's not loaded with any type of invert life or in theory you could also use it in a reef tank that you want to feed a lot yeah yeah, if you have a reef tank and you just have a, let's say, an NPS aquarium or an anemone system and you want to just feed them a lot, um, you know, your protein skimmer is going to do some, your filter roll or, or mechanical filtration is going to do some, and then this could do some. Um, it just needs to um, be a little bit more verification to get the seal of approval. But it makes sense, in theory, to have um, a small carbon source within a biological um media of this kind and uh, yeah I'll, I'll be i'll be trying it out some more or continue to trying it out um over the next year and i'll be sure to report back um if i get some you know clear positive or negative results did you have any products that i hadn't really talked about or haven't really mentioned there's must have been some products that caught your attention that um kind of mimic the max Spect or the current usa orbit light that just didn't really like bubble up to the top or get some kind of, of attention i should have written it down there was one that i was thinking about earlier um but now it, it'll come to me um i'm trying to think all right well let me talk a little bit about the isolate mt um this is a um trace element additive that i really thought hard about including the top 10 but then i really thought about how if you have your trace element dosing on lock this is not going to do anything for you right and so i feel like this is just going to be one approach to uh, boosting those minor and those trace elements um, in a tank that has you know pretty high demands and i'm currently using it uh, you know along with a lot of other products and it's kind of hard to get so it's a little bit more of a uh god of an experimenter's bottle i guess um there's not too many places that sell it they're not really trying to push it out there they're still like in um stealth mode i guess um captivate aquatics i think this is the reef blueprint uh dosing line but yeah they're cool little product if you're not really hardcore about your trace element dosing yet this might be one way to kind of fill in that uh, gap in your periodic table of elements and i don't know just if, if you need if you're if you're not dosing any trace elements your corals need them especially if you have a lot of corals you can if you do a lot of water changes you don't really need to worry about trace elements if you do a lot of water changes don't have that many corals or don't have any that many fast growing or big corals you know trace element supplementation is not going to dramatically change um how you enjoy your reef tank or interact with it um but i think the isolated mt is going to have um kind of a niche it's going to have a niche following um with a certain group of reefers who are not like all in with the entire red sea reef care program or uh the triton method or you know any of these other companies that are trying to sell you like 20 bottles that's an exaggeration eight to ten bottles of everything to add to your tank yeah i'm i'm trying it but i don't know if i would get the uh, you know i have i have several large corals so i i do feel like i have a good level of biomass but i you know the the new experiment from a guy who never really did water changes was you know i wanted to see okay what's 
what's life like in a tank where I do do vigorous water changes, right? Um, so I may not then that experiment may conflict with the experiment of adding a trace element, adding, mm-hmm. right? I'm well, still tinkering with it because there might be s- stuff there that's not adequately re- replenished in my via my salt mix, especially when I'm only doing 10% water. Change. And you just you can't underdose. Yeah, you can't underdose. Just even if you've if you've never added elements or you know these really esoteric trace and minor metals, um, if you dose a tiny bit, your corals will thank you. Dose a little bit more than that, they'll be, you know, grateful. You dose a little bit more than that, they'll be like, whatever. <laughs> you dose more than that, and you have a problem like I'm having right now in one of my tanks. I got a little bit cavalier. I'm like, oh, I got a lot of corals in here. I'm not dosing the tank. I'm dosing the corals. And uh, guess what? I got uh, uh, some of my thinnest. I don't know. This is an interesting observation. Only my super thinnest branching Acropora literally. I don't want to call it RTN because that implies I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I'm still waiting for my ICP results to go come back. But die off. But it wasn't like total. It was definitely partial and it was where the branches were thinnest. And it was only like three totally different strains of Acropora carduus. And some of my other corals are starting to look a little bit. Um, some of my other acros have a little bit of a, uh, a touch of the zeovit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Not all of them. It's just a couple of them. And uh, I already did a water change as I'm waiting for some ICP results to come back to figure out which element went too high. But I know I did that. I know I was like, oh, you know, I'm not dosing the volume. And there was an initial dose and then like a subsequent dose after a week or two of dosing. And I just stuck with the initial dose because I, I think my tanks are badass and I have a ton of corals in them. And so they need more juice. And uh, now I had some, you know, partial die off and uh, learning the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I dosed it on a bunch of different tanks. And it's only that one tank where I was like, I did a little bit too much. I've been, I will. I've been using just a tiny amount and I haven't seen any adverse reactions. Um, I did panic for a while cause my big old leather was closed up for days. Um, but then I, I it come to find out that, uh, one of my fish started taking a liking to it and was chomping uh, on it a bit. Fortunately, he, he or she got bored and now it's oh. back to its normal form. Cause I was kind of like, I'm, you know, that's I, funny because it really highlights that, there's certain problems in reef tanks that come up that you can get very wound up about. And react. I'm talking about yeah. an ick and a little bit of coral die-off or aptasia or felonia. And you know what? You might just walk away, just leave it be for three months, come back and realize that's not a problem anymore. Well, and it was funny because we had this discussion that if you had an angel munching on coral, you would kick the angel out and I would probably just say all right i'll just stop keeping that coral and it felt like the universe heard us talk about that because they were like all right let's grab one of your oldest corals and have this happen now what are you going to do and i was sitting there like oh this is a tough decision you know but um because i was worried a a leather of that size if it started to deteriorate from stress would really you know do a number on my tank i did remember the product that i felt was uh, a good honorable mention for 2021. And that is, again, speaking of automated water changes, Kimura came out with the X2SR. And it's like, um, they're, they, they had, uh, they had one for I, I water I feel like changes. they're releasing a, something like this every four months. <laughs> but this thing doesn't, I think it's a liter per minute. 
Um, and it has built it has built in float switch ports with float switches, which is really important with an auto water change system, right? Fail saves. And so the reason I like it is, you know, you always talk about standalone like Trident. Um, the dose as a water change system to get all those fail saves, the float switch in your, you know, hey, to let you know your your salt, you know, your salt water uh, container is empty, or hey. Uh, we think the uh, the old water pole line is clogged and we're just adding a bunch, right? Like having that float switch in your swamps. Like that's so important to something that's going to run for 24 hours and you're going to ignore it or you're going to kick it off while you're out of the house. So I really admire that this thing is standalone and it comes with all the fail saves and the fact that it can do a liter per minute. That's pretty impressive because that's about a gallon every four minutes. So for like a larger reef system where you're trying to get because I think the dose maxes out at 33 gallons per 24 hours per day. That's as much water as you could change, which if you have a massive system, it's not really a whole lot. So the fact that you can do four gallons in a minute, I mean, it's it's 900 ml. Anyway, I, I thought that was kind of cool, like that there was a new product in the auto water exchange space. So there you go. Cool. Very cool. Well, I'm glad you like it. And I'm, I guess, you know, the... Um, uh, auto water change enthusiasts can take a look at that. And um, I got two more products that I want to discuss. And I think one is going to be uh, just really well received. And that's uh, the Refi Uno. Mm. That one was neck and neck with a max back jump. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Refi is kind of like the new Nanobox. Remember Nanobox from back in the day? Only, I'm only talking about 10 years ago, but he was making handcrafted fixtures with lots of great paint jobs, um, a really uh, pragmatic assemblage of, of LEDs, and he was using a lot of Philips LEDs way before Philips made a light of their own, and it imparted a really unique spectrum to the corals that were underneath it. And I feel like the Refi you know is bears the torch of Nanobox Reef in terms of um, – First of all, the Refi Uno, they have several different fixtures, the Uno, Duo, and uh, a couple others. But the Uno is the only one that I've played with. Um, but it's a 150-watt light for $350. It's a small box. It's got a ton of different LEDs, a ton of different colors, a ton of different channels. It's got a built-in small uh, LCD display. Um, not like a – not like no, I'm sorry, not an LCD display. More like an LED display. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's sharp. And, and um and the thing is, I, I wanted this thing to to shine a little bit more, but it, it is still a very much an enthusiast light. And the reason I say a little bit more is like it doesn't come with an app. So you have to uh, log in to a particular IP address on your phone. But the screen on the, the device itself tells you the IP address. So you just you know, punch that in your phone. It's just not that super smooth streamlined experience. But then it gives you like crazy control over all yeah. the different color channels. Um, it's uh, um, lots of programming functions. Um, it's a good form factor. It, they, they really all in with like a, what they call reflectors. I'm sh I know that's been used before. I can think of the company already. Um, but like just a real like deep well of reflector material that every LED sits in to punch all that light down instead of 
secondary lenses. So it still has that primary lenses. Um, but it, it did suffer a little bit from kind of the orbit marine thing where the blue colors, oh, amazing. It's so much of that. Like I'm more than half of that power, that total 150 watt power is in 395, 400, 420, 430, 440 nanometers. Like so much of it is going into, um, this really deep, deep blue lighting. If you want the deepest blue light, I don't think there's anything like offering more than the Refi Uno right now. Um, but one of the uh, drawbacks is that a lot of those LEDs, they're kind of like the, the quad die packages and 400 and 410 and 420 nanometer LEDs. You don't really see that. You know, so the light is there. And unless you have um, kind of a UV meter or a blue light meter, it's not going to register in the PAR spectrum. And unfortunately, when I, when I when I pushed it at full intensity with all the whites on, it, they had that same thing going on as the Orbit Marine where the white was not complementing the blues. You know, it was of a flat white paired with kind of, you know, really deep blues did not create a really appealing, bright coloration to the tank you know it's nothing like the 150 watts if you set a the the, the kessel a 500 at 150 watts because it does 185 it's nowhere near that bright but i still think it's a really fun uh enthusiast light uh for someone who wants something to tinker with and just wants something really different or wants to try to um try to bring out a lot of those deeper fluorescent colors you know if you were doing a uh, tank really with just like a lot of deep water acros and leptoceras, madrasis, stylocene yellow, all those kind of uh, cryptic-ish corals. Man, I think that light would really, really shine. Um, to be honest, I, I probably need to set it up on a tank and, and run it uh, a little bit longer than I have. Um, but it was close. It was close. And I just think I, I want to see this light reach, you know, a, a 0.1 or a 0.5 iteration um, because I think some subtle tweaks to the spectrum. I'm not even asking for the app, right? <laughs> the control was fine. Um, but I think some subtle tweaks to the spectrum would just really make this uh, light more appealing to more people. Yeah, the things I liked about it, I didn't get my hands on it like you did. So everything was just uh, what I read about it. But um, the general consensus is there's not a lot of glare, right? Like it did a really great job of, you know. Punching light down. Yeah, and not creating, you know, this blinding glare while you're staring at your tank. Um, there's a lot of light companies that are trying to simplify the controllability of the spectrum, mm -hmm. right? Making it more beginner friendly, but it starts to neuter it a bit for like the people that really want to tinker with that's spectrum. That's a great choice of descriptive words because that's exactly what's happening as will be showcased in the last product I want to discuss, but continue with the refi Uno. Yeah. So with the refi, I mean, there's so many dials you can turn in terms of those diodes, right? So I thought that was cool for somebody that really wants to to get into that. Mm -hmm. um, I I like a good app on my phone. So I, I hear you on that part and I completely agree with you. Like that's a must have for me. But I did kind of think it's cool that there is a built-in Wi-Fi and it's essentially just running its own little web server um, yep, is yep, what exactly. I, I, at least I imagine. And then I like that he, there's a lot of people that are, are really focusing more on is there really like a good near UV or UV spectrum in lights? And this fixture answered to that call. It tries. Um, 
It makes a, a, a valiant attempt. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's, that's, that's a good thing for those. I mean, I, I started paying attention to the idea of that when uh, the lenses on one of my lights for the UV uh, diodes browned out. Uh-huh. And I was unaware because, I mean, who stares up in their lights, right? But I had a Favia, I had a Blasto, and I had a green Nephthia where that fluorescent glow in the dark green like which would be in the center of like your favia or in the center of your blasto, it disappeared. And then my nephthia or sinularia, sorry, not nephthia, uh, became more of a, just like a, I don't know, not like a fluorescent green. Right. And I, yeah. and I was like, what's going on with all of these, um, what is a fluorescent green protein or, uh, FGP? Yeah, you got it. F, yeah. GFP. GFP. I was like, what's going on? Why are why is it disappearing in all my corals? And then when I moved tanks, I noticed that the UV diodes, the lenses had browned out, you know, kind of burned out or whatever. Uh the the UV diode was fine. It's it asking a lot. It's to, plastic, right? I to mean, expect plastic yeah. to resist in any way, shape, or form a concentrated <laughs> punch of near ultraviolet. And high energy wavelengths of blue that's asking a lot of plastic to do that you know and, yeah and, and so i may be drawing a conclusion of two factors like this caused that and i could be way no, off i think right? you're right but i think you're right it made me kind of think more about the value of that light right that that spectrum of light um in terms of my corals it made a big uh, impact on me so when i see lighting manufacturers care about that space it, you know i give them a thumbs up for that and another thing to note is um next to the acro optics light made in boulder colorado um i think the refi is the first light ever built by engineers right that engineer from start to finish there wasn't a design or budget or you know bean counters along the way but like oh you have to cut this feature you have to cut that feature it is for the enthusiast and i still think it has a lot of merit so i'm i'm trying to conjure up the the application where that super deep blue lighting is going to really shine um but you give me some ideas especially with the the favids you know a lot of those favids um uh the colors can be tricky sometimes they're like totally in your face and other times you're like what happened to my colorful christmas favia <laughs> it just it's like greenish and reddish now it's not like those brilliant colors but you know and the next product I want to talk about is the most diametrically opposed to the Refi Uno. The Refi Uno is $150, watts, $350, all the channels, all the colors, really focused downwards. And then the Neptune Sky, the Neptune Sky. I want to start this conversation by saying I love this light. I actually really have grown to love this light. I am not even pushing it. And... The only thing that keeps it from rising to the top is either the feature set or the price, right? You cannot price your Neptune Sky at close to $1,000 after everybody adjusted their prices. Um, same as a Kessel A500X, same as a, Ke a Radeon um, XR30 um, Pro, and and neuter the features like you say give me four channels of color control from a controller company man come on but the biggest thing for me was price when you look at this fixture and how it's built and what it does it is firmly a maximum 700 dollars light at that price point 
it starts to become really competitive because right now it's at like $950. For that price, you can get two uh, XR15s, which will allow you to light up practically a two by five aquarium. Let's just say conservatively a two by four, right? So for some the same price, you get more features, more light, more color, more channels. And then it's funny talking about this now because they're the same company. But then if you lower the price of the uh, sky to what it probably should be six ninety nine. Not seven fifty. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Six ninety nine. I feel is like the money price. It's like the the, the sweet spot. Then you're talking about for two thousand dollars, you can get three skies, and then for two thousand dollars, you can get four XR fifteens. And three skies will give you more light and more spread than four XR fifteens. But because it's priced, because of branding and cachet or and you know the hype um it just prices itself out of being a good investment that's that and you know they haven't been out more than what is it six seven months and the durability man whew, i know um there, there's a lot of concerns about how that light's going to hold up in the future but hey, if you sell your light for $1,000 and it's made very cheaply, you can afford to replace components or whole fixtures, no problem. But that does, again, that doesn't lead to a great user experience or great brand loyalty. Okay, your turn. <laughs> yeah, I, how do I put this? Um, so I'm a longtime Neptune user. I love Apex. Uh, I love the, I'm a control, you know, I, I love controllability. Um, you and I, you know, I know we disagree on that uh, to some degree. You know, I don't like, think we do. I control everything. I just don't need a controller. Right. I like, <laughs> I love controllability. I just don't like having one questionable black box of a central control center. So I'll put it this way. Like if you... A good example is, you know, I, I don't know how Apple is these days. I haven't had anything break, but I had a MacBook Pro. It broke. I took it to Apple. Um, well, that's and, your first mistake right there. No, but uh, it was Christmas, right? And I was hopping on a plane to Colorado. Oh. And uh, they were like, yep, this is what's going on with it. We're going to fix it. Uh, where would you like us to ship it to when we're done? I'm like, well, I'll just come pick it up after the holidays because I'll be out of town. They're like, no worries. We'll overnight it to where you are. And then in the end, they just ship me a new laptop, right? If if I pay a thousand dollars for a light and it it you know salt creep or something breaks it, and I send it in, and the manufacturer just gives me like that just unconditional service, right? Then I wouldn't feel bad spending a thousand dollars on a light. My I'm curious about Neptune's future under BRS or not under BRS, but under Bertram uh, because. I had, uh, and this is deviating from the light a bit, but I have a point. Um, I had an, is it an EB-8 or EB-832? Their new mm -hmm. little plug, you know. I had one of those die on me where it the turning off the plugs didn't work anymore. And it ended up being a $2. Oh, your controller power strip was no longer controllable. Right, which could have <laughs> catastrophic effects for my tank. And it ended up being this like $2 part with really crappy Chinese cap capacitors on it. Uh, you could find them on eBay. It was crap, right? Um, and so I asked them like, hey, what's going on with this? Can we fix it? And they were like, well, 
first ship it in so we can verify that it's broken. And then um, we can sell you one in a just a brown box, right, at a discount. And it was like, I think, like 20% off. And I'm still making money. I was They're like, still- yeah, come on, guys. You know, like this. And then the new one, you crack it open and that $1 part has been replaced by something made by Meanwell, which is a reputable company, right? Uh, Meanwhile makes a lot of LED drivers, you know, it's, we all know that company. So clearly they, they found an issue and they upgraded the components to make it more reliable. And it just pissed me off that they, I had to spend that much money to replace it. It, I didn't feel like I got that, you know, you spend a a lot of money for a premium product, but you know, when, when the crap hits the fan, we're there for you. I didn't feel that way. We're going to get you that white glove treatment. Yeah. So meanwhile, I'm running my tank on power strips from Home Depot till I get the new one in, right? At that discount. Again, I'm not trying to harp on Neptune, but so when you come at me with a light at that price point, and then I see everybody online gut it and take it apart, you know, kind of like the iFixit guys do with the newest cell phone. I did it first. You did it. <laughs> um, and I see the internals. I'm like, if that thing gets water up in it or salt spray, um, there was no coating, right, uh, on the board. Again, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of debating whether the build quality is good or bad. All I'm saying is like, what happens when that thing breaks? Am I going to have to call up Neptune and then they'll sell me one for 20% off? If It's just that kind of, that's so like, the thing about buying that light is I'm more curious about what the future holds for their, like, I guess their customer service. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make any enemies. <laughs> I'm not trying to be beat on them too hard about this. I, I preach, just, brother, preach. Because I'm a loyal customer, right? I have two doses. I have. Uh, I, I it have doesn't a, give you a warm and fuzzy feeling when you know enough about electronics to take apart something like an EB8 or EB38, and you see the DC power supply that they're using, and you know exactly what part should be in there. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's mean, like a two dollar difference. Take apart like, a dose, man. It's uh, I've, it's. I'm not going to argue whether like they're price gouging or anything like that because there is a lot of money that has to go into R and D, right? Yeah, but th- that 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 thing's been on the market for a long time. <laughs> it's been I on the market just, for a long time. It, we're ready for a dose too. Come on, guys. Yeah. So to your point, and I I think when we the light first came out and there were you know twenty page threads on it on the forums and it was of very people who had never seen it. People were fired up about the loud. So it's like I said in the beginning of this podcast, there's newsworthy items. But how that if if the price point was lower, then the concerns about the quality or the concerns about the customer service becomes less for me. But when I'm spending a crap ton of money, I either want that thing to be like waterproof, like I can submerge it, or I just want to know that that company has my back, right? Right. I I can't tell you how many companies I've called where something critical is broken and they're going to send me a new one because the one I have is- No questions asked. That or like, hey, we'll send you a new one and then you send yours back because maybe it's still doing X, Y, Z for you, right? Like it's not completely down and out on you. I haven't spent that much with iFixit over the years, but when I have, you know, minor issues with just replacing the the battery on my laptop, um, iFixit just 
hey, do you want a replacement battery? They don't even ask about sending out the old the old one or they kind of trust that I've already gone through all the possible diagnostics of trying to fix whatever the issue was. And they're just like, oh, here you go. There's the boom. We know you're not like trying to scam us or whatever for a free replacement battery. But I think this is a great note to start wrapping it up is, is talking, it's just, just talking about that hype factor, you know, because no matter what we believe, we're all a part of it to a certain degree. And this is something, uh, the kind of balance I try to bring to reef builders and that you and I really try to uh, promote here on reef therapy. You know, and within the same 10 minutes, we talked about one of the least known aquarium lights, two of them actually, the current USA Orbit Marine Pro and the Refi Uno that got like zero fanfare. I mean, not zero, you know, they have a, a couple uh, diehards and on this, and just a few minutes later, we're talking about the sky. And so I just want all the, the, the viewers and listeners to um, consider that, you know, uh, reef therapy, we're really going to go out of our way to try to present you with the opposite extremes of um, the promotional advertising hype machine. You know, there's some really underrated products that I know are going to be really awesome for people's tanks. And there's some super high products that are pr maybe decent, you know, like the sky, but just don't warrant the price or the fanfare. Yeah. And I think to be in your shoes and to try to sit, sit there and come up with this list, um, you're never going to get everybody's agreement on that. Like it's always going to be a debatable topic, right? Mm -hmm. and, oh, absolutely. Um, and that's the, actually, that's kind of the funnest part. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm sick and tired of this freaking era we're living in. We can't, you know, practically get together and talk to shows and reef stores because that's one of the funnest parts. But, um, you know, what's actually super surprising. I think I got leads on like, this year's top five. I have five products already here at the studio waiting to be tested out. I think I'm going to test one right out. Now. <laughs> Just no, 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 no. <laughs> I think one of them I'm going to test out, do the video, and then I'm going to send it to you. That's a new protein skimmer, a new larger version of the MaxSpec Jump protein skimmer. Um, well, is it anything that cup like comes off like without even thinking about it? <laughs> <laughs> you just you just move the latches. Just move the latches. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of great products already. I think 2022 might be one of the best years for new reef aquarium products we've ever seen because there was such delays um, in the previous year that is just all going to spurt out in this coming year. Um, I think Interzoo in Germany is finally going to go down. Oh, um, nice. They've been, I think they missed two years due to the pandemic because it would have been in May 2020. And um, yeah, so it's just going to be a huge year for new products and uh, we'll be sure to bring you guys all the news as soon as it comes out. And uh, I just want to thank everybody and you, Mark. I want to thank you <laughs> for being part of this really fun experience and um, making Retherapy one of the top 10 new aquarium products of 2021. Um, yeah, no, it's been super fun and connecting with people on another level. And uh, I hope uh, a lot of folks are listening to this while they're working on the reef tanks because that's what I do while consuming other people's reef aquarium content. Yeah, I it's been a it's been a good year for me or 2021 it, it was a bad year on many fronts but it was a it was a good year for me from a hobbyist perspective i really uh 
from the the moment that you and I were talking about what kind of podcast we would prefer to listen to, and then we were like, well, why don't we just do one? Um, and then here no, we it are. Was, it was it was easier than that. I think we just said, hey, let's just have a phone call and press record and see yeah. how it comes out. So hopefully, people have seen a, a dramatic uptick in the audio and video quality, and just the diligence with which we are uh, publishing these sessions of psychological reef therapy. And it goes without saying, I mean, I, I just show up, usually drink a beer and just talk, right? But you guys on your end still have to edit and put it all together and there's still a lot of work. So I, I definitely appreciate all you do on your side. So Cool. And um, I think um, the last little note to, to put out there is I think Mark and I might be doing a little something, something at that show in April in his hometown, if you know where that is. And um, we'll be sure to let you know as soon as we get the formal uh, invitation and request for us to do something live in person. That's going to be fun. So, uh, Mark, thanks for joining me on this very uh, special <laughs> session of Reef Therapy. I guess we'll catch you guys on another uh, session very soon. Yeah. See you soon. All right. Later, everyone.